You ever notice how it's always a little bit harder to have fun and play when you're a little bit scared? I don't know about you, maybe uh, growing up there was a room that you would kind of avoid as soon as the sun went down, or perhaps you always kept a safe distance from a barbecue because you put your hands on top of it when it got hot one time. I know for me, we've got two young kids uh, in our household. We've got our daughter, Avery. She's one years old. She is a absolute daredevil. You could be sitting on the couch and she's going to kamikaze on top of you at any given moment. She likes to, to literally sit on the edge of the couch because I guess that's just the way she uh, lives her life. She's a tough little cookie. I know that when the boys, uh, those little punks start coming around and hopefully at least a decade from now, uh, she'll be able to take care of herself. But our son Jude, he's, he's kind of the opposite. He, if you were to Google scaredy cat, uh, his face, his big old cheese and smiling face would pop up. In just three short years, he's developed a healthy anxiety and fear of the following. Let me tell you about some of the things that Jude is a little bit afraid of. He's afraid of bridges, of fish, water, chicken, saltine crackers, certain types of dogs, nighttime, daytime, big trucks, whenever Lightning McQueen crashes his car, whenever the rocks roll out and frozen too, you get the, you get the point. There was, this, uh, there was this time in which he was watching Toy Story 4 every single day, no matter what. And this kid had this system down. About 30 seconds to the moment in which the ventriloquist dummies would show up for the first time in the antique warehouse, he would, he would promptly get up and walk around the corner, get this, and then he would listen, and he would wait for that sound to kind of give him the signal that this scary part has happened, and then he would just kind of prance back in and, and sit down and go about his normal viewing pleasure. I, I think a lot of us can relate to this in some degree or another, can't we? I don't think anyone ever really wants to go through life scared. We want to enjoy life. We want to we have fun. We want to look forward to the things that, that we have passions about. But what we all know is that that ability has kind of changed quite a bit the last few weeks, hasn't it? You see, we're wrapping up our, our teaching series, Be the Church, this morning. Every single Sunday, we end with this phrase, this benediction. We, we kind of look at our church and we say, now you go be the church where you live, work, and play. And we've been kind of unpacking what does that mean and what does that look like for us as the church and as Christians. And so we talked about, well, how do we be the church where we live? How do we be the church where we work? And today, we were scheduled to talk about how do we be the church where we play? And I kind of had this idea for a message all laid back. Uh, uh, how do we play with purpose and with priority, but with people in mind to impact the kingdom of God? But given our new reality that we find ourselves, I think the question has changed a little bit for me at least. It's a little bit of, a little bit is a shift is how do we not waste this season for when we get to play again? Now I'm not saying you're not going to have fun or there won't be things that you can enjoy during this time. But how can we not waste this this in shelter command that we have been given? Because if you're like me, there's probably one word that might summarize what you're thinking and feeling during this season. For me, it's, it's the word stuck. I just, I, I just, I feel stuck. I, I'm stuck in my house. I'm stuck in this uncertainty. I'm stuck in some of this, this fear, this angst, this worry about what's actually going to happen next. I keep being stuck and wrestling with Jesus, what he tells us in Matthew chapter 6, when he says, don't, don't, don't worry, uh, because who can add an hour to their life by worrying? 
And so that's what I want to kind of unpack for us. That while we can't really play, even though normalcy is a little bit different now, where's your heart and where has your mind been now that we're all just a little bit stuck? And so I want to share some words with you this morning from a man who, who definitely knows what it's like to be stuck. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. You can pause that right now. You can grab your Bible. You can pull up your phone. Whatever you need to do, join me in Philippians chapter 4. But before we get there, I actually need to take a quick pit stop to show you about our man Paul being a little bit stuck. I want you to picture this. I want you to get this in your mind with me for a moment. It's the year A.D. 64. For six straight days, you smell this charcoal. Everything is burning. The ground is filled with soot and ashes because the city of Rome has just been ravaged by a fire that's just engulfing the entire city. Ten of the 14 districts have been completely leveled. If you read some of the history, some people tell you it was just an accident. Other people are going to try to tell you that it was Emperor Nero himself, that he intentionally started the fire so that he could rebuild Rome back in the way he wanted to see it. But whenever there's a catastrophe, whenever there's something go wrong, people want answers. And so Nero took it upon himself to kind of pin the catastrophe on a certain group of people. You see, two out of the four quadrants of the city, the four districts that didn't get really touched, two of them were completely filled and overrun with Christians. And so Nero began to have this idea that perhaps maybe it was them. Maybe it was their fault. I can probably pin it against these people and their God. Because for years leading up to this moment, Paul, the ringleader of the church, has been ca causing somewhat of a chaos and a ruckus all throughout the city. People are, are, are starting to follow after this new church, this new way, this Messiah by the name of Jesus. And just a few years prior to this, in the book of Acts, we kind of see where Paul was going and what he was doing. He was going from new area to new cities to new country. He was planting churches. He was preaching to the Gentiles in the marketplace and the Jews in the synagogue. And he began to just kind of gather a following, but not to follow after him, but to follow after Jesus. There's this one moment in which Paul was kind of being uh, pursued by a, by a group, a, a lynch mob trying to end his life. But because he was a Roman citizen, they, they, they grabbed him and they rescued him to safety. They shipped him off to Caesarea and then for the next few months, he goes from trial to trial, from Governor Festus to Governor Felix. Eventually, they kind of get to this point of, well, we don't want to kind of hold this guy at fault. We don't want these Christians to take it so far. Well, let's just send him off to Rome. And let's just put him on house arrest, and then let's let the emperor deal with him. And so just a few years prior to the massive fire, the great fire of Rome, we see this guy by the name of Paul spent some time stuck, alone in, a, in his house. But what we're going to see today is how he leveraged this time all for the glory of God. In Acts chapter 28, we kind of get this insight of where he was and what he was doing. Uh, in Acts 28, verses 16 and 30 and 31, it tells us this. It says, when we got to Rome, we being Luke and Paul, when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Skip ahead to verse 30. 
It says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So what we learn when we see Paul, he's kind of getting stuck. He's literally in a house for two years in house arrest. Now we learned that there was only one soldier, while typically you were going to have two soldiers there to watch you. But because there was one, they probably thought he's not going to try to escape. He's not going to try to reject the rules or the code. He's going to follow the protocol laid out before him. But Paul's life was no longer normal. He couldn't plant churches. He couldn't go on mission trips. He couldn't go to the marketplace and talk to the Gentiles about Jesus. He couldn't go to the synagogue and talk to the Jews about the the Messiah found. The normalcy was gone. But what we see is when everything has shifted and changed, he was still proclaiming the good news. It says, with all boldness and without hindrance. Because Paul knew something that we all need to always be reminded of and to learn is that God's control is the same even when we are stuck. That no matter how restricted or how tension-filled life may be, that whenever or wherever the good news of Jesus is proclaimed, the kingdom of God wins. Now, if I'm Paul, I'm not this calm. There's probably a lot of fear. There's, there's uncertainty. There's, there's some anxiety. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm all alone. I'm probably losing some of my discipline. And so it makes me ask the question, what was Paul's response to being in house arrest for two whole years? You see, in this time, in this two-year lockdown, Paul actually writes some of his most influential work in the New Testament. Sometimes we refer to these as the prison letters. We, we, we learn about uh, his, his letters to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians. We learn about Colossians, Philemon, and then, of course, Philippians that we're going to look at here in just a moment. He writes to, to uh, Philemon the, the short letter about a, a former slave and a master when he's encouraging them to have reconciliation and restoration. We see that the, his words to the church in Colossae in, in the book of Colossians is all about life change that happens as a result of the salvation we receive in Jesus. The, the letter to Ephesians is such a powerful letter because it talks about the outer workings of faith and the life of the believer, and then it shifts to saying this is then how that needs to affect the church. So what about Philippians? A man stuck in house arrest for two years. He writes Philippians. It's often referred to as the letter of joy. This is some of the things you can see as you, as you thumb through Philippians. He says that whenever Jesus is proclaimed, I rejoice. I will continue with you in the joy of faith, that through the participation of the Spirit in me, it completes my joy. He says that even if I am poured out, I rejoice with you and hopefully you with me. You see, what Paul knew and what Paul got is during times of fear and uncertainty, it's not safety or comfort that protects us. It's focusing on God and his word and his promises to us because those never change. This is pretty different though, isn't it? This is a little bit weird. It's unexpected from someone who's just kind of stuck in an indefinite house arrest. But in some ways, 
It's oddly comforting, isn't it? What would be going through your mind if you were Paul? If you have been shipped to a new place, you were, you were locked in your home for two years. What if normalcy was stripped away when you can't play in life? You're locked up, you can't go outside, you can't go about filling, fulfilling your passions and your desires. Maybe I can ask what has been going through your mind? What has been going through your heart during this season? You know, the, uh, the great theologian Daniel Tiger he put it this way once. He says that once you see what is there, you might not be so afraid. Let me say that again. He says, once you see what is there, you might not be so afraid. And that's why I want us to turn to Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Because I think what Paul is doing us is he, he's reminding us to see where to look, what to focus on, when that fear, that unridden uncertainty begins to kind of creep into our lives, how do we continue to have joy when we are stuck? These are Paul's words in Philippians chapter 4, verses starting with 4 through 7 this morning. He says this, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul uses this word rejoice over and over throughout Philippians. It's this word that means to celebrate as you remember the accomplishments. And so what Paul is saying, he's making this emphatic notion. He's saying rejoice. This is so important. I'm going to tell you again. Do not forget this. Do not miss this. Let us remember. Let us celebrate what God has already done in our life. Think about this. He's, he's, he's writing to some Christians who are struggling. He himself is in house arrest. And he's saying, I, I know probably what you're thinking. I, I know what you're feeling. I know what you're going through. I know what's running through your mind. I know the, 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 the uncertainty that you may have. I know the fear that might be trying to creep up into your life. I know you're scared, but he says, let us celebrate together. Let us continue to rejoice in what God has done for us. You notice his, his words aren't, hey, guys, just, just buck up, okay? Just kind of pull yourself up a little bit stronger this time. He doesn't, he doesn't say, well, just, just kind of just cheer up a little bit. Try your best to have a good day, and that's going to kind of be just, just what we can all do during this season. No, he says, no, no, let us remember and celebrate what God has already done for us. You see, we can have peace in the midst of fear, uncertainty, and anxiety when we remember and when we focus on the accomplishments of what Jesus has done in our lives. That peace is the antidote to undue concern. Not comfort, not certainty, not understanding, not type A list, not a bunker or a shelter, but peace that comes from God is the antidote to undue concern. 
But it makes me ask this question, though. Where did Paul get that peace from? That peace that surpasses all understanding. Where did he find that peace? He'll, he'll write to a church in Rome. And he'll, he'll kind of give us these words in Romans chapter 5. Shout out to our Romans together. If you haven't had the opportunity, join us on Facebook Live as we study the book of Romans throughout the week. But, but Paul says this in Romans chapter 5 verse 1. He says, therefore... Since we have been justified through faith, faith in the work of Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is reminding us is that the peace of God comes first from being at peace with God. So before we can have the peace of God, we need to ask ourselves, am I at peace with God? With God. So Christians, if you consider yourself a person of faith, let me, let me remind you of something this morning. That we have a peace, we have a hope, we have a love, we have a goodness that surpasses all understanding. But it is not a work of ourselves, that it's only from Jesus and Jesus alone. So during this season, during this time, if we want to have the peace of God, we need to remember that we are first at peace with God through the work of Jesus. And so if you're tuning in, if you're kind of going through something in your life, just trying to, trying to figure out what is happening, what is going on, how can I get a little semblance of normal life, or, or maybe just something to help me calm down a little bit. You might be watching this and you've never considered yourself a God person. You've maybe never heard the gospel, the good news. You may have never understood or wanted to know who Jesus was. But if you're searching for the peace of God, you need to first understand you need to be at peace with God. And the good news for each and every one of us is that the peace with God comes not through us, not through trying to outweigh our sin with, with some good works, but it only comes that when we repent and believe, that when we have faith in Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection from the grave, that are we made at peace with God? Through the love, the grace, the goodness of Jesus, are we at peace with God? And the best part about that is that once we are at peace with God, the Holy Spirit lives in us and we receive the peace of God. And that's why Paul is making this important effort to remind us. And in, in, in verse 5 of Philippians 4, he's saying, this is where the peace comes from. Let me remind you that the Lord is near. That God is next to you. He is with you. He is in you. If you are at peace with God, the peace of God is with you because he is right there. That is why we rejoice, because the Lord is near. That we rejoice when we remember that the Lord is near. That we don't have a God who is distant. We don't have a God who is far away. We don't have a God who has abandoned us. Rather, we have a God who is with us. He is near. Now, during this time, during this season, this would have been so different than the world they were living in. You see, in the ancient Near East, in the ancient Middle East, there were hundreds, thousands of these fake pagan gods all throughout their city. And so what people would have to do as they were going throughout their day, as they were going to work, as they were living life, they would have to go to these gods and they'd have to kind of appease them. 
They'd have to give some sacrifices here and they'd have to make sure that one, but they have this decision going on here, so I need to appease that one. And so, so it, was, it was anxious enough just to think you could get through the day appeasing all the fake gods. But sure enough, you're just thinking, okay, this is going to be a good day. This is going to be a good week. I think I got to all, okay, yeah, yeah, did all those things. And, and then all of a sudden you turn a corner and there's going to be another fake god being like, ha, 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 gotcha, you forgot about me. Because they thought that gods were distant. Gods were far away that they were trying to out to get them. And what Paul is saying, no, 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 our God, the sovereign creator of the universe, he is near and he is at peace with those who have faith in Jesus. Paul's saying that while under house arrest, while I'm stuck, I don't have to lose hope. I don't have to lose joy. I don't have to lose a fullness of a heart because I can't lose Jesus because he is right here with me. That the peace with God is our first and only step to being at the peace of God in our hearts and minds. The thing is, Paul kind of reminds us, this isn't just something that we know or read about. This is something that we're called to put into practice. Paul kind of closes out this thought here in in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. This is what he says next. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. See, what Paul is getting at here is he doesn't want us to juggle the peace of God. Here's here's what we can't do during this season. And I've done this many times before, so I'm preaching to myself just as much right here. Some of us, we we, kind of live this this worry-free life. God is with me. He loves me. He is good. And then we hit a trial. We hit something difficult. And that's when we begin to kind of freak out. Does God actually love me? Is he actually good? Does he actually have my best interest in mind? Is he actually near me? And then when we get to the other side of the trial or the problem, then we begin to say, oh, no, 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 yeah, yeah, God's there. He's with me. And what Paul is saying, if this is excellent, if this is praiseworthy, put it into practice. Think about it all the time, not just when you need it. See, the peace of God, it's not like a dictionary that you, you put onto a shelf and then you wait until there's a time in which you need it and then you pull it off and then you try to remind yourself of what it is. He said, no, 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 that, that God is in control always. We need to always remind ourselves that he is true, noble, good, excellent, and praiseworthy. See, here's the thing. God's never surprised. He's, he's, he's never concerned or taken back about what's happening. Like, like he wasn't up in heaven hanging out with the Trinity, having dinner one evening, and the Holy Spirit pulls out his phone and says, oh, God, I just got a, I got a notification from down on earth. Yeah, 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 it looks like they're, they, they've got uh, kind of an issue going on. Oh, wait, wait, what, what issue? What's happening? I wasn't aware of this. What, what is it? Well, it looks like they're kind of struggling with this kind of like virus thing. Well, how bad is it? Well, it's, it's you know, okay, well, uh, okay, okay, did not see this coming, did not expect that. Uh, all right, Jesus, you got any ideas? How, how, no, no, okay. Okay, uh, well, what should we do? Should we, uh, should we, uh, uh, okay, well, maybe we get them some extra peace. 
Maybe, maybe we go into our closet and we've got, you know, that, that kind of extra piece that we've just stored up. Let's just go kind of grab some of that and, and kind of dish it out down there. Let's get them uh, some different piece. This piece is actually the piece that they really need for this season. Or maybe, maybe we just get them an extra high, higher dosage of peace during this time. No, Paul's supposed to just say that God is in control. He knows that the peace you needed then is the peace you need now. And it's going to be the same peace that you're going to need in the future moving on. That our sovereign creator, the universe, who breathed everything into existence, he knows you. He knows what's going on. And he is with you. That's why Peter says, First Peter, cast all your anxieties unto God because he cares for you. Don't juggle the peace of God. Put it into practice. Think about it. Zero in on it. Focus on it. Because when we refocus, we remember to rejoice. We refocus when we've remembered to rejoice. When we remember that we are at peace with God. When we celebrate what God has done, his accomplishments. That's when we refocus. Let me give you an illustration. And I want you to kind of play along with me here at home. Do me a favor, grab, grab an object of any type and just kind of put it in front of you. And so, can't sometimes problems distort our perspective? Here's what I want you to do. Just focus on that object you've picked out. Maybe it's a ball, maybe it's a pillow, a remote, a book, whatever it is. And just put it in front of you and just start to stare at it. Focus on it. You see, see what happens when we stare at something for a long time, you'll notice a couple of things. Is number one, it starts to kind of grow. It starts to kind of get bigger, a little more pronounced. But also at the same time, everything else starts to get a little fuzzy. And I think that's what happens to us when we have a problem or something that's worrying us or something that's making us anxious. We put it and we begin to focus on it so much that everything else in life, especially what God has already accomplished, it starts to get fuzzy. And when we focus only on the problem at hand, what is going on, we begin to think, okay, God, maybe your love isn't so clear. Maybe, maybe your will for my life isn't as, as, as specific as I thought. God, 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 I don't really know. Are you actually here right now? Because I'm not really, everything's a little fuzzy. And what Paul is reminding us, focus, rejoice, celebrate on what has already been done. Remember, reflect, refocus on God. He is in control. Our faith is strong. He is with us. Are trials real? Absolutely. Do we have problems in life? 100%. But when we can choose to focus on God, his word, his promises, his presence with us, we know that he is near. Peace. In times of uncertainty comes from being certain that the Lord is near. The love and the goodness of Jesus, that's what determines your life. Not this season, not this virus, not the stock market, not the new orders that might be coming, not the uncertainty. 
Do we need to be wise? Absolutely. Do we need to care for one another? 100%. How can we mobilize uh, our church and, and ourselves as Christians to be the church where we live, work, and play? We must be ready. We must be ready to be gentle. We must be ready to share what we have. But get this. It is only the peace of God that needs to be the determinant of our hearts and our minds and our lives and our souls. And we only get that. By focusing on God, our sovereign creator, who cares for us. So here's the choice that I think we all need to wrestle with this morning. It's this. It's that I can submit my uncertainty to the peace of God. Or I can submit the peace of God to my uncertainty. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, man, I've crushed that this week. In fact, more often than not, the angst, the worry, the uncertainty has kind of overrun. But in those moments when I could say, you know what, God, I believe you. I trust you. You are here with me. That peace that surpasses all understanding begins to fill my life. So how can we learn to play for when we play again? I've seen a lot of people talking about the traction that this has given in their lives. People are saying, that's great. We actually, for the first time in, in almost forever, it seems like, our whole family sits down to dinner together. That both of the parents get to tuck their kids in at night. That they actually are spending quality time to get together. That I get to slow down. I get to rest. I feel actually a little recharged and rejuvenated. And so my encouragement to everyone and my encouragement to you is the same thing, is that use this time to refocus, but also remember what you are refocusing on now for them. This has not been easy. It hasn't been fun. There's going to be fear. There's going to be anxiety. There's going to be uncertainty, but we must battle it through prayer by being together and celebrating the peace of God. Let me close with this. May we refocus on the promises of God that he is near. And may we remember what he teaches us now, then. May we submit our uncertainty to the peace of God as we celebrate together that he is with us. Would you pray with me this morning? God, you are so good. I feel like I can't say that enough during this time, during this season. Lord, I think a lot of us need to spend just those extra moments and minutes with you. We probably need to repent. We probably need to confess. We probably need to say we're sorry. We're all probably getting a little stir-crazy somewhat, or some of us might be living it because we're introverts and we like what's happening. Regardless of what it is, God, may we focus on you. May we use this time to remember that the peace of God only comes first by being at peace with you. May our hearts be open. May our minds be willing to learn. May we be willing to see how might we need to pray? How might we need to reprioritize or change our life moving forward by what you teach us during this moment? 
but in any season, in every season, in every moment, may we think and pray of all that is true, good, excellent, noble, praiseworthy. And that is why we rejoice. Journey in that we pray. As a church, this is one of our more personal times as we gather together because we call it our response time. And right now, it's, it's normal for us to have a time of response where we begin to think about what next steps we need to take in our faith. When we think about the peace of God and being at peace with God, I'm sure there are a few of us that right now are just wrestling with, what does it look like for me to give my life back to God? What does it look like to accept him as our Lord and Savior? And maybe you have a, a decision that you need to make. Maybe it's to follow in obedience to be baptized with Christ. Maybe you've never had that choice. But whatever it is, I want to encourage you to go to this website, fcc-online.org forward slash Sunday. And there you'll find a spot where you can fill out a connect card. You can give us some information, maybe ask to sit down and talk with a pastor or a friend to talk about what it means to give your life to Christ or to take a next step like baptism or to enter a prayer request that maybe you have. Our staff meets weekly to specifically pray over every prayer request for our church and we want to pray with you and for you. So go to that website and engage with us for a moment. Allow us to pray with you and pray for you. Also, we take some time to take communion together, and maybe you have the emblems, the bread and the juice. We're reminded that on the night before Jesus was betrayed, before he was to go to trial, before he was to be convicted and ultimately crucified, buried, and rose again. And that night he instituted a, a meal together where he shared with his followers, his closest friends, where he said, he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. He said, this is a new covenant. He said, take and eat. And in the same way, he took the juice. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Reminding us that this is a, a commemoration, a memorial of his death and his burial and resurrection. But he said, he, he said this is a new covenant, a new commitment. He was making a new commitment between God and humanity that his life would be the sacrifice needed for the payment of our sins and life everlasting. And he said, take the juice and drink it. And as a church, we also respond in giving of our, of our monies. This may be new for us, for some of us, but the reality is that those of us who call First Christian Church our home, this is how we help partner together. God has already given us so much. All that we have and all that we are is his. But we give back through our, our monies, our tithes and our offerings, so that the mission of God can be in advanced through ministry to help people in need, to help spread the good news, the love of Jesus. We use an app called the Give App, G-Y-V-E. There you can actually find the location that you would normally attend, whether it's in Champaign or Urbana. And you can give a one-time gift or a recurring gift. But we would invite you to respond, whether it's through the Connect card for prayer or for a next step, 
gathered as we have or we've taken communion to celebrate and commemorate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus or to give even of your monies back to God to celebrate what he's doing even in our lives, even in this time.